Our next jaunt was out to the ocean again, back to our friend Aquaman. We lost jokey sidekicks like Topo and Quisp the Water Sprite, but the comic had recently introduced Queen Mera and her extra-dimensional city. Given how prominent Mera would be in Aquaman's future, it'd be interesting to see just how her early appearances were handled. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Oh, it's the water hobo. <laughs> Look, it, I, yeah. I'm excited for the fish. Because the fish are great, and the fish are always fun. Um, and that is always our favorite takeaway from Aquaman, is that fish are better than powers. Uh, hands down. But if, no you can, if you have fish... Yeah, he is. He still does live in a cave. He lives in the worst van down by the river you can possibly <laughs> imagine, um, but not for long, as these comics will will show later. Uh, Joanne, this one might be a bit of a quick one because some of these are pretty quick and others are just oh boy. Um, so we might spend some time talking about the implications of some of these issues after the fact, though the summary might be quite short. Uh, but speaking of summaries, we're going to go to Aquaman number thirteen, February nineteenth. 1964 a portal opens up uh because some future criminals open it up and this portal has a bunch of displaced water creatures monsters what have you that come into our world that are causing problems and these future criminals are using them as a distraction while they commit crimes and run away from the police from the future it's not really important what is important though is mara shows up remember mara is the uh Redheaded gal from the other dimension of Jebel or Zabel, depending on how you pronounce it. It starts with an X. Um, but uh, she's from another dimension, not another Earth aquatic city nation group. She's from a different place. And she shows up and she helps Aquaman and Aqualad take out these uh, future bad guys. Um, I d I'm going to say this now as a setup. I like that they constantly refer to Mara as more powerful than Aquaman. Mm -hmm. That is cool. Mara being a cool force of nature that is basically unbeatable in the water is dope as fuck. Yep. I love that about her character. She is the only female love interest in the Justice League-centric area who is more powerful than the guy that she's in love with. Did, I mean, we've got a little dun-dun-dun going We're on. We're going like, to talk in, in about wings, that. But, yeah, uh, we will I talk think, about that. Yeah. I, I'm trying to... I'll hold off on this bit. I'll hold off on this yeah. bit. But yes, but yeah, so, it's rules. It's awesome. She's making... Uh, giant living creatures of water, making cages out of wa frozen water, hard water structures. She can do pretty much everything Green Lantern can do, except it's magic and water-based. And it's awesome. Because Aquaman is a fighter, and he's a swimmer, and he's a tactician. It's not like he's a slouch. Because he's got the I-can-talk-to-fish things, too, which allows him to have basically an army at his disposal. And Mera has control of the water. So it's, they're, neither of them are slouches. But in a knockdown, drag out fight, Mara can win. And she routinely does in any instance where she is mind controlled and they have to fight her. Mara is the powerhouse of this super duo. Uh, the second story in Aquaman number 13, this is kind of a throwaway one. Aquaman and Aqualad stop, um, <laughs> stop these guys from trying to disguise a murder amidst a daredevil competition. In the ocean, it's stupid. These guys are just like, well, let's do some cool stuff in the ocean. It's just a, a ploy so they can kill a guy on purpose and get his money. It's that was dumb. Uh, some of these two-parter issues are really lame. The yeah. ones that breathe more, that have the full issue, actually has some fairly solid stories. They're not great, but they're better because the pacing is just better. Uh, speaking of another two-parter, Aquaman number fourteen, April nineteen sixty-four. A marooned man, for some reason, gives Aquaman powers with his dying breath. It, okay. It feels... And it's specifically like, let me give you this thing. It yeah. It is... Uh, I, I think there are stories like this that are the classic, hey, the 
dying pirate especially like mm-hmm. bequeath something with his last breath i give you this map it, it it's just playing on that it doesn't yeah. actually care about death or dealing with it it's just here is the genre that we're playing in yeah it's he gives he gives aquaman a macguffin hmm. and it it effectively allows aquaman to stretch change his shape or modify his body in certain ways to do powers for a day that he does a bunch of things that he normally wouldn't be able to do like stop a tidal wave or stop a bridge from collapsing with, you know, by changing his shape or body. Uh, my favorite is inflating himself up like a balloon and lifting a sinking ship and putting it on dry land. That one's the best one. Cause it's just giant Macy's day balloon Aquaman. And it's worth noting. I, I was glad of this. We don't get like super round. Like he's, it is not a pastiche of fat people. It doesn't yeah. do that, and I was like, "Oh, well, he, yeah." That. He looks he looks like an overinflated balloon as opposed to a heavy person, mm-hmm. and there is a fine line between those two in '60s art, yeah. and that's interesting that they were able to do that and tread that line so carefully and do it in the positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, second story here: Aquaman gets whacked on the head and acts like a douche for an issue. It's just. <laughs> As though that's it. That's the plot. You know how he gets undouchified? A bunch of octopuses slingshot him into some water and he whaps his head against it so hard he undouches himself. And he's now a nice guy again. That is... It's so fucking stupid. These, these two-part issues are really grasping at the worst straws possible. Um... We're gonna move on from that issue and go to Aquaman number 15, June 1964. This one was I found was interesting. This one was kind of like... This has a huge plot hole in it, I think. Um, <laughs> yep. Oh, we're going to say the same thing, aren't we? <laughs> I don't know, but maybe. Um, so there is a scientist that Aquaman knows who develops a way to breathe underwater by an experiment. The experiment goes awry. He is now permanently able to breathe underwater, the scientist. And Aquaman puts him underwater like, oh, God, okay. Like, uh, we got to figure out what to do with you, man. And the guy starts to, like, snap because he's like... I'm going to be alone underwater by myself. And this is, I'm, I'm a freak. And Aquaman's like, well, we could put you like on a tank on land. And he's like, do you think I want to be like in a zoo or an aquarium? And he basically gets evil, gets this giant machine that he's created to steal skyscrapers and place them underwater to make a faux town. And he's like, well, now I need people to fill it. So he tries to steal people from the surface and Aquaman and Mera and Aqualad are like, all right, we got to knock this shit off. And they eventually stop him by freaking him out by having the people of Zabel um, dress up in normal human clothes walking around underwater. So they catch the guy off guard. He's like, finally, I'm not alone. And then they like knock him out. And then the the effect of the, the explosion wears off and he can breathe on air again or breathe with air and on land. And they just put him on land and they return all the skyscrapers. <laughs> Why didn't they just let him live in Atlantis? Yep. <laughs> And they don't even acknowledge it. Like, I could understand if there there needed to be a beat of Aquaman being like, but I can't invite him to Atlantis. He's a human, and we've agreed on that or some shit. Or having the Atlanteans reject him or something. Yeah. Be like, no, Aquaman, only only Atlanteans can live here. Like, literally anything. Anything and, acknowledging the existence of two underwater civilizations that he could have lived in. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's actually a good point. He could have gone and lived with the uh, Z- Zabel. Yeah. I don't remember the name of the place. No, nope. uh, Zabel. X e b e l. Um, I pronounce it Zabel. I think they in the Aquaman movie they said Jabel. Hmm. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's it becomes one of those functions of like, all right, how do we determine the phonetic and cultural links of Atlantis in the DC universe? Is it? latin or something blah blah blah. it doesn't matter but bottom line uh yeah you're right he could have lived in mara's dimension or he could have lived in, in atlantis but it doesn't really matter because the effect wears off and that's probably why they didn't bring any of that up because if they had put him in atlantis he would have fucking drowned <laughs> like, uh, huh. Eh, huh. and i can see huh. that's why they didn't do it but also at the same time it's like you have to at least acknowledge it because my brain yeah. goes oh well he's gonna have to live in atlantis now yeah because I didn't know that the effect was going to wear off. Like, if he were rejected from Atlantis, that would actually go a long way towards establishing this, yeah. like, me- the loneliness. mental break. Yeah, he basically, yeah, he like, he, and I'm like, 
this actually has this is actually a good story hmm. like there is there are bones here that if you dress it up and you do some really interesting like you know you have the atlantis aspect of it you talk about isolation there's a real interesting story there's maybe like a three issue story you could do here that would be yeah, really I, cool i think that's the case for a lot of the stories in here one thing i'll add to that that sort of expands on that point is that the first like chunk of the story is building empathy for the scientist. Like he is, yeah. he summons Aquaman. He's like, we're going to do this cool thing. And we get a decent number of pages of that. And before he has his swing, like, oh, you know what it reminds me of is Flash comics where like uh, Captain Boomerang gets out of prison and there's a book, like a number of pages of like, oh, he's going about his day and doing his thing. And he he's like, oh, what am I going to do? And then he lands on the caper and the, mm-hmm. oh, I need this to meet some emotional need. It's it's in that same vein. Or like Captain Cold getting mad that he's not number one oh, in the yeah. prison hierarchy. Yeah. Like he doesn't have the high score of criminals like <laughs> like crap like that. Like mm-hmm. there there was a there was a genuine effort to make this person a character. Yes. And that was really cool. Um, there are so many you're halfway there moments with with a lot of these next few issues um, that I was like, again, when I said the two parter ones are kind of like, meh, these longer ones are like, you were so close to actually making like a really good story here. And either the shortcomings of the writer or the shortcomings of still not really understanding the medium and how to tell it correctly are the issue here and that uh, who's to say i want to i think it's even a little bit different than that not even like not understanding the medium but just they're not they're playing in spaces that happen to imply really interesting things but there's these are still very fundamentally silver age stories like i did the Mm -hmm. math uh four out of the eight stories we cover involve mind control of some kind and one more is hey like someone acting a little out of character because of a thing it these these are doing the thing and, and the one use powers that we talked about these these are not stories that would be out of place in superman it's just that mm-hmm. they're executed better and grounded uh i think especially like power wise hey it's rel- it's a simple power set. He has simple vulnerabilities and simple powers. He doesn't have a million different things going on that he could pull in at any moment. Yeah, he is a... His limitations are his strengths. Yeah. And this is not to say that Superman doesn't have strength and strengths in his stories, but mm-hmm. the batshit crazy 1960s Silver Age <laughs> Superman is like so far-fetched as a character that there is little to identify him as a person because the stories are about his powers, not about him. Yes. And that is, I think, the issue with Superman comics in the 1960s that I think when people go like, oh, I can't relate to Superman. Oh, he's he's got he's too powerful. They're thinking of 1960s Superman. They're thinking of I can sneeze away a solar system Superman. Like, yeah, no one could relate to what is effectively deus ex machina as the character like that's what he is but later he transforms to become a more grounded more you know more limited version of a character which is like you know aquaman here which man a little bit better storytelling and this would have been a good would have been a good comic i would i would really this this is almost doom patrol this is almost a doom patrol story and i or you know and i was like i was digging it until like the end and i was like all right like you should that was a route to go um kind of anticlimactic that his his affliction just ended or you didn't have to cure him you did like and and it's worth noting that we talk about him like oh oh, there are all the zabel all those zabelians out there and that's the thing like he reacts to that but the what specifically happens is he steps out of his contraption and then he gets KO'd by the Aquas. It's not a, oh, I, I actually do have human connection. My emotions go down a little bit. Okay, yeah, maybe 
I feel bad, guys. Let me let me fix this. I, I know there are ways I can have human connections still, even though I'm yeah. in this weird space. I, I actually think it would have been really cool to have the weird underwater professor who just has made a home on, like, some coral be- reefs, and it's just always that way. But now he has, like, now he has email. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing is, like, Aquaman doesn't have a science aspect to him. Mm-hmm. He has general intelligence that all the superheroes have, which is a general level of understanding of a bunch of shit for no reason. Um, But at the same time, there is no Q. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Hal has the Guardians. Um, Batman has his own tech stuff. Uh, Adam Strange had the Ranian technology from Sardath. Um... The Hawks had Thanagaran technology. The, uh, Ray Palmer is his own scientist, you know, but he does also have his buddy who makes time travel shit. Like, there is no science person or, you know, intellectual in the Aquaman cast that this guy could have filled the role for. That would have been good. Um, Aquaman number 16, August 1964. Ship-shifting aliens on the run get help from Aquaman, Aqualad, and Mera um, to defeat these people that are chasing them. It's a pretty stock standard story. This one was fun, but it wasn't really anything to write home about. It was just like, no, this is a story. Um, There's also the the girl alien is into Aquaman, and Mera's not about that. Alright. Arbitrary romantic drama for the sake of romantic drama. Um, Because this character never comes back. So it's like, this is pointless. (laughs) Alright. Um, Aquaman number 17, October 1964. This one is a bit of a walk. All right. So, Poseidon comes to our dimension to woo, steal, uh, date Mara. Aquaman and Aqualad are like, that's non consensual. And they try to get her back. But they have to go to what is effectively the Olympian dimension to go fight Poseidon. And Zeus is like, you're going to beat up Poseidon? That's hilarious. Let's let's rig this. So the, Zeus makes like a challenge. He goes, all right, whoever wins the challenge gets to keep the girl. And Mero's like, this is really uh, demeaning because uh, I'm a trophy and this is uncomfortable. And you're like, yeah, it is. Um they have to find a golden apple in the water. Poseidon, of course, cheats. Aquaman still wins because he's Aquaman. Obviously, because he's the protagonist. And Aquaman gets to take Mera and Aqualad back to Aquaman's dimension, which is not Mera's dimension, but still, it's back to a dimension that exists in a more friendly capacity. Poseidon follows them. And then Poseidon's trident gets broken, and Aquaman has to save Poseidon, and Poseidon's like, wow, you're actually, like, a really cool dude, I'm sorry about all this, and everybody's like, you should apologize to Mera, because you did, you know, you did try to kidnap her, (laughs) whatever, Um, and then Poseidon leaves, and Aquaman now has a broken trident. Um, Editorial mistake. They refer to Zeus as Poseidon's father. Incorrect. Then later... Poseidon refers to Zeus as his brother. Two goofs. They didn't keep it consistent, and their mistake was wrong. Um, this was a dumb story. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, just... it's dumb. Shall, shall I segue? Yeah, it's go a, ahead. It's dumb in a way that foreshadows what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> So Aquaman number set, number eighteen, November nineteen sixty four. Oh, Aquaman is voted to be king of Atlantis because the old king dies in a plot hole. You know he's 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 killed off screen for some reason. Something happens to him. He's dead. Bottom line, he's dead, and the citizens of Atlantis. Can, who can clearly vote their king, which is an interesting sort of system, um, they vote for Aquaman. And Aquaman's like, sure, if you really want me to be, I, I still have to do superhero stuff. And you're like, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool, you can do that. 
So Aquaman is now king of Atlantis. And they're like, all right, as king of Atlantis, you need to have a queen. And he's like, okay. And they're like, you marry one of these girls. And it's just like any girl in Atlantis he has his pick of. And Aquaman's really flustered by that. He's like, oh, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't know any of these women. I'm not in love with them. I'll be back. My underwater stove is running. And he leaves. Um, so he can have some space. Meanwhile, um, they stumble upon Mera, who's hurt. And they, you know, nurse her back to health. And Aqualad kind of notices. He's like, Aquaman, you really like Mera. He's like, I, I think I, I do. I think I really actually love her. And Aqualad's like, man, it's a shame you can't marry her because he, she's from Jebel. And Aqualad's like, yeah, you're right. And uh, Mera wakes up and she's like, oh my God, I'm so happy to see you. I, I came, you know, uh, I have to tell you something. And Aquaman's like, me first. Um, I can't marry you. And Love Lauren and Love Struck and Hurt. Mara runs away in a rage because she's devastated by this news. And, and Aqualad's like, what the fuck, bro? Why'd you tell her that? And he's like, what did you want me to tell her? That I loved her and I still couldn't marry her? Or should I just let her down and let her think that I'm a piece of shit and she can hate me? I, I don't know which is better in that scenario, Aquaman, but I don't know if you made the right call. <laughs> Honesty is yeah. usually the best policy. And it's worth <laughs> noting, like, he does use specifically the words, I can't marry you. Like, yeah. Uh, and you can read a bunch of different things into that. Because, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I certainly read that. And I read can't. And right. I read, like, I'm not able to, not allowed to. But, who oh boy, man, work on your work on your communication yeah. or intentionally lie. Like, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't say, I don't love you. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, I don't want to. He just says, I can't. Yeah. It, so. it feels like the logical follow-up to that is, what why? do you mean by that? But why uh, not? We, don't, we don't get that. <laughs> Literally just say, why not? Um, so that's a problem and we find out that Mara is effectively stranded in our dimension because the machine that uh, allows her to go between dimensions from Jebel to Earth um, is like busted and they're like it's going to take us a couple years to make a new one and she's like oh my god and he's like it's got one more charge and the scientist is like it's got one more charge left to go to Earth if you want it. And she goes, yeah, I want to because I don't want to be away from Aquaman for too long. And he's like, all right. Because um, Mera is queen of Jebel. And she goes through the portal and a criminal goes after her named Oceanus. Oceanus loves Mera. And, you know, like you do when you love a woman, you chase her into another dimension, you threaten her um, to marry you. And Mera's like, fuck off, dude. And he goes, if you don't want to marry me, I will take your powers away with this gun that we have used to take the powers away of criminals in our dimension. And Mara's like, shit. And he takes her powers away, and Mara has no powers anymore. Yep. So this all happens before she meets up with Aquaman. Aquaman says, I can't marry you. She swims away distraught. And Oceanus is like, now's my chance. Um, he's like, hey, don't you want to marry me? Because you're sad and stuff. And she's like, sure. And he goes, great. I have the perfect place for us to be king and queen. And Oceanus effectively conquers Atlantis with goofy Hanna Barbera looking monsters that they he's created really out of do. water. They're the dumbest. <laughs> like, man, when you're when your fish look that artistically realistic, and you're evil magic aliens look like weebles that wobble but don't fall down with angry faces on them get fucked are you serious like that's (laughs) that's lazy um so he he destroys atlantis's defenses he takes control of atlantis and then he with mara by his side he beats aquaman and aqualad um, and he has the, all of Atlantis constructing a temple so that he can marry Mara in the traditional custom of their, their people. And eventually Mara turns on Oceanus and helps free Aquaman. And they're like, you know, give up your powers and, and stop trying to kill Aquaman or we'll blast you with your, your no power gun. And he's like, nuts to that and kind of disappears in the fight. But Mara has effectively freed Atlantis and Aquaman is free again and she's like I understand now that like because you're king of Atlantis you need to marry an Atlantean I'm sorry I'll go and Aqualad's like make her an honorary citizen dummy you're <laughs> it's king it's so good, <laughs> that and, a- good. A- and Aquaman's like 
Oh yeah. Uh, I hear now. I hereby pronounce you honorary Landian's citizen. Do you want to get married? And she's like, done. And the last page is actually a very sweet splash page of their of their wedding, where the entire Justice League is there along with Atlantis to watch Aquaman get married. It, uh, Aquaman it, is the only member of the Justice League to have a legit marriage be, with a woman that he acknowledges he loves and that loves him back. So, I yeah. I have a thing I need to say. Please do. So, we have talked before about how I I read totally legit versions of these comics and one of the nice things about this totally legit versions is it is interesting to see them in the context in which they were originally printed including ads and as with the last page of every single story and i think most chapters but certainly every single story the last panel is like a two-thirds of the page like of the like that is used for actual comics and the last third is an ad so you have a great beautiful little picture of Mera and Aquaman getting married and there's the Justice League and below it is an ad for Fudge. Nice. It's just, there's nothing it, it takes away a little bit from it, but it yeah. is entertaining in its way. Nothing destroys the, the, the atmosphere and the emotion of a marriage quite like Fudge. Um, well, Mera doesn't have any powers anymore. That's genuinely the biggest casualty of this entire arc. Yeah. Mara loses all of her powers and becomes Aquaman's wife. Hmm. That sucks. What? And not it not that she's Aquaman's wife. I actually really like that they mm. are a fairly healthy couple. They seem to like each other a lot. The fact that Aquaman has no secret identity means he doesn't have to keep secrets from her. He can be himself around her. And that um, she loves him and they reciprocate their affection. Much like Hawkman and Hawkwoman. I kind of forgot about them. But they have a good marriage and theirs is based on respect and love and admiration. These are the two power couples right now in the league. But why did she have to lose her powers? I thought for sure. Oceanus was like they were going to take Oceanus's power and he'd be like I'm sorry there's a reverse button on the gun please give me my powers back and they were going to use it on Mera and not him I thought for sure she was going to get her powers back and they're like nope they're gone for good in a single panel and I was like get out of here that is insane so I had the same reaction and so I skimmed the next couple issues the good news is the powers aren't permanently gone. Good. The so the bad news is like fundamentally it doesn't it doesn't change. Uh, so I I read through uh, issue twenty three just like skimming through. She's a victim for a couple issues. Uh, mm. She is like either I think mind controlled or kidnapped or hey, I don't really know what to do with myself now that I'm queen and I don't have power, so I'm not going out with Aquaman. And then there are points where she goes, tags along, but fundamentally, not she's not the same character. Then she gets her powers back in issue 22. Then she gets pregnant in 23 and has Aqua Baby in the same issue. It's a very short pregnancy. Hmm. They, they, My read on this is the writers couldn't conceive of or didn't want to have any role for her as a permanent member of the cast as the only role that they were willing to imagine her in was uh, wife and mom in, and like submissive versions of those yeah it and it's weird because like she is in most of the issues between like 12 and 16 and so it's not like she's just kind of popping in for occasional issues like it feels like they almost looked around and said well we basically made her a permanent addition we got to give her a, a role and that was it and the and yeah and they stuck with wife instead of partner yep so hooray <laughs> and what man-made horrors and I, I want to kind of drill into some things that 
really made me like up through issue like end of issue 16 Mara uh, because it was really I had the same reaction that the dominant story for me of these uh, issues is wow cool Mara too oh no Mara uh, mm-hmm. so it's worth noting there is some like kind of decent flirtiness it's not amazing but it's like oh mm-hmm. it's not like chemistry on the level of uh, Carol and Hal <laughs> But well, I can't do that anymore. It's too sexy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not that, but uh, it is. Oh, yeah, you guys, you guys have fun together. Uh, and Mara legitimately gets to be a protagonist sometimes. So the issue, the story where there were the two other aliens, and there's there's a the first chapter of that is the female alien is like fleeing with. Aquaman, quote unquote, because the brother is shape shifted to look like Aquaman, and the camera is on Mara the entire time. The it's not on Aqualad, it's not on the fake Aquaman saying things. The camera is on her. Also, this is a story that's a great example. Her powers get—they're not just the powers are powerful; the powers are shown off. That issue has a sequence of like three different times that she's using her powers and they're potent and they're multifunctional. She makes gliders, a hard water tunnel and a lasso. They don't work, but it's still powerful or rather it doesn't solve the problem, but the alien has to respond to them. She's powerful. Uh, I think of it as she's the one who's booked against the alien to make the alien look powerful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And importantly, or at least I think it's important. Her powers aren't Aquaman's powers. It's not a Hawkman, Hawkgirl thing. It's not uh, another, like, sidekick thing of, like, hey, Aquaman, Aqualad. Uh, You can't draw a direct comparison between their powers because they are completely different. Uh, And I I was thinking about this. The other woman partners to male heroes that have different power sets like that that I could think of, Platinum and Elastigirl, who we like. They were characters. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. so I'm, I think the other, the most notable ones outside of that that we haven't really seen yet are Green Arrow and Black Canary. Yeah, good call. And they are effectively two, like, yeah, they're scrappy humans who can fight, but she also has powers and she's a boxer, like MMA fighter guy person. And uh, Green Arrow is Batman, but with a bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. And there was just this line from the comics that I think specifically like sums up. Uh, if Mara can't beat that mechanical monster, no one can. It's like, oh, yay. Yeah. They acknowledge her power. They acknowledge her value. They acknowledge her strength. In a very honest, like, no. If she can't do it, we're screwed. Like, I won't be able to do it. That is Aquaman acknowledging he is not the right person to do this. And that is awesome. Because it also shows Aquaman has humility. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. By having this other character for him to play off of so... Another adult, fully formed character. He is more of a fully formed character for us. Mm -hmm. We see that he respects her. He appreciates her. He understands her. He's like, she's a queen. She's super powerful. If Mara can't stop this thing, we're boned. Like, that's it's good to show that Aquaman is intelligent to understand that, too. Mm -hmm. And, like, the coda for this is, even before she loses her powers in 18, when she's abducted by Poseidon in 17... She uses her powers exactly once. And it's not when she's initially abducted. It's when he basically, quote unquote, when he kidnaps her on the way out. Uh, She makes a creature which Poseidon takes control over. And that's Mm. it. And it's really striking how she has Aquaman to do her fighting for her in that issue. She turns from a companion to a damsel. Yep. And... There isn't a change in creative team. It's the same people all the way through. So can't can't blame it on a change. How much you want to bet it was the editor? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I I didn't I I wrote down who everybody is. Uh, so Jack Miller, 
did the writing, pencil and inks were Nick Cardi, and the editor was George Cashtan. And I don't remember having any issues with George Cashtan in the past, but I also don't remember too much of what else he did. So, eh. Yeah. Oof. It just, yeah. Oh, boy. Yep. On the plus side, there were two good moments, three good Aqualad moments in this. Like, genuinely, like, I liked these. Uh, there's a bit where uh, at the very last panel, I think I think they did a good job with the last panels in a lot of these stories, uh, with the mad scientist who uh, was breathing water. It's The last panel is him driving around the mad scientist robot, putting back uh, <laughs> skyscrapers yeah. and saying, yippee, this is fun. It's like, yay, kid. That was cute. And he makes the monster costume to lightly prank Mara. And it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. you know what? He's being a kid. And then he has the just make her a citizen idiot moment. Yeah. Aqualad is a part of the team. He's not a sidekick. He isn't He isn't quiet. Yeah. He has his own personality. And also, he got along with Mara. Mm-hmm. Like, Mara wasn't like, oh, you're a kid. And like when he revealed himself, she's like, that was really good. <laughs> that was so, a good costume. So, uh the next issue oh no she's she has to stay behind because she doesn't have powers and aquaman goes on a patrol and she's like hey aqualad stay here hang out with me i don't know what to do and she doesn't know how to deal with a kid who's just like i want to do other i want to do stuff i want to do stuff quiet go learn from somebody and it sucks yeah (laughs) it sucks yeah i think one thing that i am trying to take from all of this big project is the degree to which it's not just like entire runs that are like oh this is the run of this character that i like it's the things you like about a particular comic might be so transient and it just things go away and take the joy in it and don't feel like it has to be this way for the entire time of the character you when there are when is there is this long of a history to these characters you have to be able to say this is the piece this is the little piece that i like and i can ignore everything else to varying degrees or not uh yeah and because everything will get retconned characters will have things changed about them people will be go from being written really nuanced to oh i don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole and all of these things are going to exist simultaneously i think that's finding the core of the character that you enjoy and ignoring the oh god in 2018 they had such a bad run is the key to comics finding aspects about them that you like because of the theme the motifs that is what's more important about the character finding good writers who do runs that you enjoy yes is important as well because then you have material that you can always go back to and be like this is my batman or my aquaman or whatever but conceptually to be a long lasting comics fan finding aspects like you're saying that you really enjoy and not worrying about the longevity of that aspect is key to surviving as a western comics a western superhero comics fan yep i i still have my love for ken penders ignoring all the weird shit that's happened since yeah it's like i love hal jordan yeah you know even though there's some dumb stuff that happens with that character and people write him really uncomfortably the concept of a character who grows turns evil comes back and understands his mistakes and tries to be a better person is far more inspiring as a as a thematic journey for the character than any awful run written by some person who doesn't really understand him that's going to destroy it for me you know just like superman is a beacon of hope and no bad run is going to ruin Superman as a character for me. No. All right. Do we have anything else? Let's see. Um, things to kind of stress. Uh, it, these really are Silver Age stories. They're gimmicky, like we talked about mind control, one-use powers. Uh, and we touched on 
that even though that's the case, they really do ground their stories in clean logic. Uh, they really do foreshadow things to establish the rules, then use the rules of that story plus the existing rules of the characters to establish challenges. So, for example, there's the one-use transformation powers, and each of those four transformations, they call out, yeah, I can't, I can't change back early. He makes it very clear. And then, with the last transformation, Aquaman is stranded, like, he gets somewhere, uses a power, takes care of the problem, is like, oh shit, I move really slowly, and I need to get back to the water, and <laughs> I have an hour to do that. And I can't, because I'm super slow, and I can't untransform. And yeah. so... It just that is fundamentally what we're dealing with here is these are stories that might be a little outlandish, but also really do ground and they make the their logic consistent. Agreed. And I kind of touched on this a little bit. The fact that there are so few persistent things in the Aquaman mythos at this point makes it easier to keep it like, okay, it's limited in like the the fact that we both felt how weird it was when Atlantis wasn't invoked in the Mad Scientist underwater breathing story, this kind of implicitly says something about the other stories, how, hey, like, it didn't feel like there was something weird of, like, why didn't we do X? They didn't have to explain that piece. It just, if it made sense, it was, it was uh, touched on to some degree. Uh, yeah. I was doing the math, and it's like, I think there are four things that are persistent in Aquaman. Maybe it's just even... Nah, four. So, Atlantis, Jebel, mm-hmm. five. Uh, Aquaman, Aqualad, and Mera. And that's it. There is nothing else consistent. And it, there doesn't, like, need to be. There aren't things that are, like, left off in the wings. Of, like, oh, Red Kryptonite can do X. It's just, no. The, these are the only things that really matter. And we understand how each of them work. Yeah, we're missing a character that is in Aquaman's cast usually his name is Volko who is kind of his like Q and the character that we're talking about that we're missing mm-hmm. there's an Atlantean sort of scientist or person that is in a lot of Aquaman comics and, and media and yeah they don't we I haven't seen him or if we have it's been some time that he's not in these issues he's not named if he is so he's not important enough to be brought up in the same vein as like Mara. We haven't seen Topo yeah, in quite some time. That, that bit makes me sad. No sidekick octopus was replaced by an actual sidekick and a girlfriend. So, you know, one Aquaman, Topo is equal to one Aqualad to Mara. This is what we've found, I guess. I mean, limb wise. Yeah. Yeah. We've done the math. Yep. <laughs> Appendage equations. To find how you can replace an octopus. I guess another thing that's worth noting, uh, and at this point I'm just kind of going through little dribs and drabs, it's worth noting that every issue has the three chapters, and each of those chapters starts with a splash page. And it's not like a splash page that is em- like setting up the action. It is, no, here's like a picture that we're going to call back to later on in this chapter. So we're already working with just 24 pages of like comic in this entire thing. And not every page is like a full page. You've got the ads sometimes running across the bottom third. And, and then we're cutting out three pages per issue for these splash pages. So it's eh, kind of... You, you lose time, and it's interesting to think about. Yeah. that There's there's stuff you could do with those. Yeah. Yep. And I think that about gets through the things that I have, yeah. All right. Shall we move to recommendations? Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to recommend, this is going to be a bit of a bizarre one, but oh. a game called Card Shark. Oh! So it's a Devolver Digital produced game, but not developed by them. It is set in like Louis XIV's era reign of France. And you play a mute servant who helps a card hustler discover secrets about 
some treasures, and it teaches you genuine card shark cheating techniques that you have to participate in to help your mentor cheat his way through these games or yourself cheat this way your way through these games to earn money to continue to fund your schemes. And it is uh, the art style is almost like picture book animated. It's really good. I really like it. I've been really enjoying it. Um, please, please pick it up. It's very hard because it requires actual, like, you have to remember what's going on. You have to remember the scam. You need to know who is getting which card. But it's very good. And I highly recommend it for something that's just kind of off the beaten path, not your normal fare for a video game. Please, please, please pick it up. It's really good. Nice. On my end, uh, I'm going to recommend a book called Iron Widow. It is quasi-young adult. Eh? It, it has a lot of the feel of young adult, but also uh, a little more grounded. So the, the inception of it is a Chinese writer watched... Darling in the Franks, and had very strong opinions on how it, how you can do mech stuff in order, like mech stories, to explore concepts of gender and power. Uh, and uh, they write a book about uh, Imperial China, and except like mo Imperial Chinese society ish, except modern. And the the Chinese, like the, the Great Wall, effectively, the modernized Great Wall is defended against these weird, like alien creatures with uh, two person mechs. And with almost no exceptions, it is always uh, the person who is, the, uh, it is always piloted by a man and a woman. And the woman is almost always subsumed and her spirit consumed as part of this uh just the the balance in power is too great or the the mismatch in power is too great and you the main character winds up signing up for this role of concubine pilot to get revenge on a pilot and doesn't get to kill him before being shoved into the machine and overpowers him the term iron widow is oh shit, you're a female pilot who is so powerful that she kills the male pilots she's tied to. And it winds hmm. up being this very concretely revolutionary book. It is very clearly making points about here are, uh, here are victimized groups victimized by different permutations of the same power structure. Uh, the not the secondary protagonist, but an another major character is a uh, someone who is a felon because they basically like more or less self-defense, not quite, but pretty much. And you see all of the wrongs done to them by the power, by the state, uh, the particular forms of misogyny that the main character has experienced are very grounded. Like they talk a lot about uh, lotus feet, ha having bound feet and broken. Uh, I, I did not know everything about the breaking of bones to make lotus feet. And mm. it grind, it grounds it in that way without it. It doesn't do the, the shitty like sexual assault thing. Uh, but it is aware of, Hey, like let's really talk about what it looks like to, experience the oppression and draw instead of it being abstracted oppression and i really like this it goes hard and it's final like it's last it's last like tenth of the book goes hard and i very much enjoyed hmm. it sounds really good i mean like i i had seen the creator's work on youtube um before kind of like fact checking uh, movies about specifically uh, Chinese cultural touchstones like Mulan, the most recent live action, as well as the animated Mulan, mm -hmm. um, but also Shang-Chi, which I thought was really their their coverage of Shang-Chi was really interesting because they were like compared like, hey, this is actual like this is a real wardrobe that they would have or like they're blending wardrobes here or that actually the the language that they're speaking here, that 
phrase that is translated into English is not actually literally correct. That's interesting. It's very, it's very good. Like they're mostly like Twitter threads that I think then became mm-hmm. blog posts. They're very good though, and they're they're very uh, well well read and well spoken, and I love their their stuff a lot. So I'm glad to see that their book is good and being well received because it's always nice to see somebody who does writing critique actually do good writing <laughs> to then true. to then show merit to the critiques that they're showing because it's like oh you actually do know how to tell stories so these are not just coming from well if i was a writer this is how i would do it it's someone who's like well i am a writer and this is this is a problem that you could see here it's like oh you know it's always nice to learn from somebody who actually has done the thing instead of just learning from somebody who has done it in theory you know having that actual practical knowledge is great and it's good to see that they're they're doing well um Mm -hmm. and if you want to pick up more um books by uh i believe they are chinese Mm -hmm. Uh, not native, but yeah, I think they're like second generation American yeah. immigrant I, I think or Canadian. Canadian. I think they're I Canadian. Think Canadian. Um, but more Asian creators and Asian writers. That's a good book. Iron Widow. Um, or don't listen to us. We don't. You know, we can't tell you what to do. <laughs> you know, like we're not in charge of you. Um, we're just two guys who've made book reports for fun um <laughs> oh oh it's what we do that's literally what we're doing is book reports f- for our own enjoyment um as an excuse for the two of us to hang out Pretty um much. so uh that being said we're gonna do one more episode of aquaman and then straight to batman to see what we've we've missed in all these years of coverage uh thank you so much for listening and we'll see you all next time DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's hard to think of the last time we swung so hard on a character. Mero was an extremely interesting and powerful character in the early issues, a rarity in this age for women characters. She was so compelling, so good. But Leaf subsides to Leaf, I guess. The creators threw all of that away in order to pigeonhole her as a wife and a mother. The good news is, we were giving the Aquaman team a chance to redeem themselves. We had another set of issues to cover before we moved on. Maybe they could turn things around.